Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. So I would like to introduce my guest for this uh, week's show. We have Circulation Director Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? Hello, John. It's good to be here. Good, good. And we also have our intern, Suhana Sinhan. How are you doing today, Suhana? I'm doing fantastic, John. How are you? I am doing just fine. And we have special guest, Dr. Alvin Crawford, who's here to talk about Black men in medicine. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, so before we head into our main topic, let's talk about some other news topics in our general news roundup. So our first topic is remembering Cincinnatians lost to the COVID-19 pandemic. Cincinnatians have experienced COVID-19 for over a year now. In Cincinnati, the first official COVID-19 fatality was on April 3rd, 2020. The world has seen over 2.4 million fatalities. The U.S. has over 500,000 deaths, and in the city of Cincinnati, there have been over 220 deaths. As of now, despite progress in virus science and tremendous advancement in the understanding of genetics, COVID-19 is already the seventh largest recorded pandemic in history. Councilmember David Mann proposed a resolution adopted by Council on February 24, 2021, to designate the first Monday in March as COVID-19 Memorial Day, joining other cities and local governments in a day of remembrance for those who have lost their lives and those who are forever marked by COVID-19, those who continue to suffer and their grieving families. And our second topic is the CDC sets new guidelines for fully vaccinated people. The Centers for Disease Control on Monday said Americans who have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 can now safely gather indoors without masks, but kept recommendations against large events and travel in place. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky announced the recommendations Monday at a White House COVID-19 response team briefing. According to the new CDC guidance, small groups of people who are at least two weeks out from their final vaccine shot can safely gather indoors in small groups. The CDC also says that small groups of vaccinated people can safely gather indoors with unvaccinated people, as long as those unvaccinated people do not have a pre-existing condition that will put them at elevated risk for the virus. In order to visit those unvaccinated people at elevated risk, the CDC says people should still wear a mask and physically distance. And now moving on to our next topic, which is about the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, Oprah interview. The Duchess of Sussex, Meghan, has told Oprah Winfrey that she experienced suicidal thoughts and was concerned when the decision was made that her son wouldn't have a royal title. Megan, who is biracial, told Winfrey that there are discussions among the royal family about how dark her son's skin would be. Megan told Winfrey in the interview that aired on Sunday that she just didn't see a solution to the mental suffering that she had experienced and told Harry she didn't want to be alive anymore. Now, according to Wire sources, Buckingham Palace on Tuesday issued a statement on behalf of the royal family to Duke and Duchess of Sussex bombshell interview with Oprah saying, the whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning 
and that they will be taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately, Harry, Megan, and Archie will always be loved family members. And our final topic is about the House of Representatives passing a massive $1.9 trillion COVID-19 stimulus package just today and will send the bill to President Joe Biden on his desk for final approval. Biden is expected to sign the bill into law in the days ahead. The bill will provide millions of Americans with direct funds, individuals earning less than $75,000 a year, and couples earning less than $150,000 will be sent $1,400 checks from the U.S. Treasury. It will also provide an additional $300 weekly benefits to those on unemployment, expand child tax credits, and provide state and local governments with, with much needed federal dollars. Wade, which one of these four stories stood out to you the most? Well, John, actually, uh, there, there are actually two. <laughs> yeah, go for them. The, the, uh, the number of deaths in, in the last 12 months, uh, when this was talked about last year, the projected numbers that, that might be, I just couldn't believe it. I thought they were just throwing numbers out there. It was no way in my mind that thousands and thousands of people would die from this. Um, being, I remember polio took the shot and all that and everything. And I just thought that we had just come so far in 2020, 2021, that there's no way that, that uh, a new virus would be able to kill that many people. But uh, as we see, it happened anyway. So that was, that was very impactful. But uh, the other is, is the uh, what's going on with Megan, Harry, and the royal family. That is uh, that that will be interesting to watch the next few weeks, the next few months, and the next year, uh, how that that pans out. Uh, that is big. That is very very big. Uh, you talk about the royal family. You talk about hundreds and hundreds of years of uh, a certain mentality. Uh, you have a new system now with the social media and how people look and, and think about things and how uh, uh, the perception is, is, is it can so, be so moving. So it will be very interesting to see what happens with that over the next uh, year and how the public and the royal family uh, handles this. Yes, of course. Suhana, which one of the stories uh, stood out to you the most? Well, John, um, this, um, it's not just one story. Uh, I believe the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry story, along with uh, house passing $1.9 trillion for COVID relief, uh, the ones that stood out to me the most. I believe uh, this, both the stories have somehow a very parallel connection to each other. In one side, um, when but President Biden is passing relief to support minorities and all the population of this country and support them through this difficult time, we can feel there is a growing sentiment of kindness and humanity that is somehow harboring through this financial support. Uh, I believe this is a very good time because we also see a lot of representation of all the colors in the House of Representation. But on the contrary, the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry story is a somehow a stone attack on this whole idea and sentiment. Uh, 
British royal family has a history of colonizing so many countries around the world and stripping off their wealth. And I felt this was the first chance that they could have redeemed themselves by showing to the world that, hey, we are we did what was appropriate in that time, but we are not people like this. They could have cared for their family well and provided them well with more mental health support and more welcoming nature in the family. But instead of doing this, they created a situation which more or less forced the family to leave the, leave the royal family and make a separate life in America. I feel these two stories, though, are functioning on a very different league, somehow show a testament that America is taking steps towards equality and kindness for its nation. But on the other hand, British royal families, the ones who are supposedly the head of the country, United Kingdom, they have not got it right. And it's, a, it's saddening that when the royal family has not got it right, how do we expect rest of the world to come in terms with not being not harboring racism among themselves and being kind to each other? Uh, after that, after that incident, after the interview, uh, there have already uh, British tabloids have already started to um, shame and diss Meghan Markle, and I'm I'm surprised by the reaction that they have still not learned anything. Yeah, those are some good thoughts. Um, but I also just want to add, I have to say, I'm not surprised by the British reaction and the royal family in general, because like you said, Suhana, you know, they're known, the British are known to be colonizers. I really was not surprised when, you know, one of the royal members said, oh, I wonder how dark the baby's going to be. I just, um, you know, I'm just not surprised at that mentality at all, if you want my honest opinion. Um, and, you know, as, you know, obviously as American, I really don't know what role that the royal family still plays in modern day England. I don't know, maybe they're still important somehow, but to me, they, they, they the whole family seems very antiquated. But, you know, I'm sure, but, you know, lots of people, you know, still look look, look up to the royal family. So, you know, I guess that's fine. But, sure, if I can add something. Yes, you go see, ahead. The, the British royal family uh, gets the stipend from people's taxes still. And, really? Uh, yes, they, hmm. they still do. So a part of their financial sources comes from the local population. And I don't know... Um, how old the queen must be by now? I'm assuming a century. She's, but, in, her, uh, she's in her 90s. I know that much. She is in her 90s. But I found one statement from Meghan Markle, very surprising, where she said that the queen was extremely nice uh, with her and she shared a blanket with her in train and uh, had a kind conversation with her. But when you care for somebody who is your family and you show them love and you show them compassion, how could you stand on the bay and watch them uh, get mentally stripped and uh, socially stripped by the society. As a family, this is completely shocking to me. And it, and though the couple tried their best to retain the queen's reputation, I, I think for any human eye, this uh, fact will not be denied that there was very little actual care because somebody comes new to your family and uh, you're truly not welcoming them 
is what has happened. So those were some of our topics um, of the day. Now I want to move on to our main topic, and I will lead this right into um, Dr. Alvin Crawford as he's going to talk about Black men in medicine. So go ahead, Dr. Crawford. Um, before we go, I would like to add one thing. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah cool. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, the guidelines are here and so many people have got completely vaccinated because God knows how much time it has been since so many people were able to meet their families and get along with their grandparents. Uh, this time has been extremely um, emotionally um, very mortal. And I'm just very glad that uh, many of the colleagues that I know and fellow people I understand have got their vaccination. And I'm most probably very eager to meet my parents because they have got their full vaccinations too. That's good to hear. So, um, so anyway, so Dr. Crawford, uh, can you please elaborate more about uh, Black men in medicine? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the program. And it's a topic that I'm happy and delighted to speak about at any time. And that is Black men in medicine. We have an organization that we initiated through the medical school in September. And it has to do with the fact that there's a diminishing and discouraging uh, number of African-American males that are entering the field of medicine now. As a matter of fact, you all talked about the virus and I think the virus shines a bright light on the fact that there are not enough black men and white coats to take care of most of the people that are being seen. And we know that there is a decrease in the vaccinations in African-Americans, especially males. And we're not exactly sure of what the problem is, but we know there's still the feeling that you trust and uh, seek out helping people who look like you. And there, at this time, uh, there's a diminishing number of African-American males that, be, that are even entering the field. As a matter of fact, when we compare the numbers to 1978 to now, even though the grade point average and the graduate degrees of African-American males have increased significantly, the percentage of African-American males going into the field of medicine that is entering and graduating medical schools have not uh, significantly increased. Now with this in, in mind, over the past five years, I've been able to speak at several graduations of medical schools, including University of Tennessee, the University of Cincinnati, and the white lecture at Harvard at the Brigham Women's Children's Hospital. But I've noted in that group, there have been less than six men um, in any of their graduations. And that was a concern for me and looking into it to see uh, the number that is, is diminishing. Uh, I think healthcare is a very definite issue. I think that the more men that we can get into medicine uh, that would uh, increase the compliance and the attitude of treatment, uh, especially in older African-American men, the better. And I go back to Martin Luther King's uh, statement of all the forms of inequality and injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. And we consider that to be the entree of an American crisis. And that is the diminishing number of African-American males in healthcare. Now, doctor, let me ask you, like, why, why is it diminishing so much? Because like earlier I was, you know, reading an article and um, like you said, it was like, it, it was really low. They said black men make up less than 3% of physicians. Um, why do you think that is? 
Well, there, there are many. Uh, and I, th I think one thing that's been proven to not be the case is the grade point averages of the average African-American male uh, graduating college today is not significantly different from the majority male graduating from college. So it's not that they don't have the smarts. It could be a lot of things, including the lack of, it's, it's one of those things that maybe you can't be what you can't see and not seeing a significant number of African-American males may or may not have decreased the, the interest in it. Um, I can't say what the problem is. I can say that our organization is making an effort to eliminate whatever barriers there are in one, uh, being accepted and two, sustaining and three, graduating from medical colleges. And we want that to be the primary message that we have. Um, and um, in doing that, it's a mentoring organization. And that is when we have, we, we've started, it's gonna be a sequential process, starting at the medical school, then going to the undergraduate school, then to the high school, and then to the K uh, level and starting pipelines. But at this point now, we're in the medical schools and it is to give sustenance and comfort to the young men that are there that there's someone to help them through problems that may or may not appear to be unsustainable. And I think that's a, that's a primary message that I'd like to get across. Mm. Now, also, let me ask you, is this like, like, how long does it take to be a doctor? Because you think like, just the time, you know, it takes and all the money it takes, you know, to be a doctor, do you think that's like a big deterrent too? Oh, I, oh, yes, it takes lots of money and it takes lots of time. And the time is an interesting thing. There's a statistic out that's uh, a recent statistic and it, it bothered me until I realized the validity of it. And that is one of the, when, when colleges have done a review of their graduates in terms of earning capacity, one of the lowest salaries is that of biology majors within four years of the time of graduating from college. And it's, 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 it's unique in that it represents a time of those biology majors who went into medicine, they're either in medical school of which they're trying to borrow money and not making very much, or they're in internship and residency. So it's real, but it's a possibly a little bit uh, easier than that in that, uh, it, 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 it takes a long time. It takes a lot of money. The average medical student graduates medical school with a significant debt. It's a very rewarding occupation. You ultimately make up and exceed uh, that level. So don't, don't feel that I'm saying that medicine is equated with poverty or anything like that. But there's some, there's some uh, issues that have to be resolved. What we're trying to do is take out the cognitive situation, meaning to give these young men who've done well to pass the medical college aptitude test to get uh, into medical school, will have uh, a friend in the court to, to help them for whatever difficulties that they may have that may or may not be social political and not have to do with the cognitive behavior of them getting through the exams, et cetera. Definitely. Um, well, let me ask you, how, how do you think, um, how do you think COVID-19 is going to affect um, you know, just, you know, even like not just black men, but just like people who just want to become doctors in general, do you think that's going to deter 
doctors from I think you know, there's an interesting phenomenon that's going on and they've noticed it recently that so many people have become compassionate about uh, COVID-19 that there's actually an increase in application to medical schools at this time. And I think that's encouraging. Oh, okay. uh, but again, it's been mostly in the females that's done that. But nevertheless, uh, the virus has brought out a, a startling example of the, the decrease in the number of people, quote unquote, in the African-American and Latino community that look like them and are like them that are there to take care of them. Like, let's say like a high school student like wants to be a doctor, like what advice would you give to them? Well, you, you identified a high school student. A high school student has gotten to the point where I think their uh, mentality is such that to fill that weight, they know that the obstacles will be there. And I think the obstacles of uh, perhaps rigorous examinations, uh, uh, retention of knowledge, uh, studying, uh, making all of those things paramount in their lifestyle is there. Um, and they have less of a problem than trying to get through the K grades and the junior high to high school. Uh, I think they have maybe more problems, but once you've gotten into high school, you know the exams are gonna be there. You know you're gonna have to, that's the one thing that you mentioned they aren't perhaps familiar with and that is the expense. Uh, that would be, I, I think the time uh, commitment there, they've been made aware of. Let me ask you this question too. What is the female black doctor to male black doctor ratio right now? And why do you think uh, so many female black doctors have, um, you know, increased over years, but, you know, male black doctors? Well, there are, there are several reasons. I can't give you the exact percentage. I would want to be accurate with what I said, and I don't have those statistics, but I can say that in terms of applying and being accepted into medical school, there've been sort of a 50 to 70% increase over the last 10 to 15 years in female African-Americans, as opposed to a 39 to 50% decrease in African-American males that have been applying and being accepted into medical school. Uh, it could be that males are entrepreneurial. And uh, even though medicine pays very, very well, but it pays it, it pays that as at an extended period of time. It's not one of those things like maybe in the banking industry or the in, in, uh, uh, in Intel, that one can come out and make a fairly good salary to begin with. It's sort of like a delayed compensation that goes through that. Whether that affects the entrepreneurial aspect of the males, I don't know. It also is a, is a, a system that has changed a bit in terms of indemnity fee for service. It's not what it used to be. And so now there has to be a lot of compassion and empathy in the particular person who's going into that field, as opposed to simply going in to make a sizable amount of money because it doesn't work that way as well anymore. However, for one who does have compassion and who has the empathy, who wants to care for their fellow man or woman, it is an unbelievably great field. Is there anything else you want to add um, or tell us about this um, organization, Black Men in Medicine? Uh, yes, it, it, it is. You know, I, I call it I call it a. Um, it's a dating system. What we do is that we have uh, uh, African-American male medical students, residents and fellows at the university uh, and in other hospitals around the city. And we try to connect them with people who look like them, who are doing the specialty that they may want to do. 
That is, if a kid is interested in OBGYN, we right now would have the University of Cincinnati for the first time in 200 years, we have an African-American chief of OBGYN. So one can connect with that. And it gives, you, it gives you a better emotional feeling to know that by God, I could be that. They can see an orthopedic surgeon and they can then go and uh, not only know this person, that can be become their mentor. They have relationships and conversations. So I think it gives you a feeling that, uh, that I know now that I can be that because I've seen someone who looks just like me, acts like me, walks like me, talks like me, who's really doing it. And I'm going to connect. And by God, if I had drive before, it's increased my drive completely, knowing that the Black men in medicine Cincinnati are there for me. Wow. Well, I'm glad there's an organization like that in Cincinnati, especially for Black male doctors. That's very encouraging to hear. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today, um, Dr. Crawford. It's, it's been an honor having you on here. It's been my pleasure to talk with you. I've enjoyed it. Thank mm. you very much. No, thank you. And I also like to um, say thank you for uh, our other guests, Suhana and Wade, for being on here. Thank you so much. And Thank you for um, giving your thoughts on the other news stories of this past week. Well, thank you. It's been very insightful. Thank you, Dr. Crawford. I really enjoyed and, and uh, I gained a lot of information from what you talk, talked about tonight. You're quite welcome. Yes, I'm very happy to speak to all of you. It was a great conversation, very stimulating conversation and very educational. Thank you so much, Dr. Alvin, John, and Sir Wade. Thank you. So... If you want to check out the stories we talked about today, make sure you check out our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com and make sure to also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph F. Booksellers, and at select service stations. Make sure to follow us at The Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow us on YouTube, just search for The Herald TV. And you can also follow us on our TikTok channel, just search for The Cincinnati Herald. And folks, remember, even if you're fully vaccinated, we are still in a pandemic. So make sure to wear your mask, wash your hands, and practice social distancing. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of The Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day. <laughs>